You're listening to Toronto's number one real estate podcast, powered by Watson Estates. The most successful local real estate investing starts right here, right now. Here's your host, broker, investor, and social media influencer, Bradley Watson. Good morning, investors. Bradley here from Watson Estates. We are 10 days deep into September, and we've got a fantastic show for you today. We are the largest, fastest-growing podcast for Toronto real estate on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Make sure you hit the subscribe button and follow us for amazing content. And I don't mention it very often, but if you want to really be kept in the loop, make sure you hit that bell for notifications. And today, we have a wonderful lineup of content. We're going to talk about things surrounding the real estate market here in Toronto that you definitely, as an investor, want to know about. It's things I want to know about as an investor and broker who services many investors across our city. You guys ready? We're going to start off talking with homelessness, this idea of homelessness. Does Toronto have a plan to address it? And I think it's quite creative. I want to share with you what direction they might be going in the next couple weeks. And then we're going to get into a quick update on condos, specifically the 416 condos. We're mapping it out weekly. And I want to see as that happens, whether there's a discount coming and it gets better or if it's going to get worse, if this is maybe the bottom as it relates to condo price, we're going to talk a little bit about that. And then we can't miss this idea of a second wave. Does it mean reverting back to stage two in our city, which you guys know has me freaked out. If that is the case, if we entered into a stage two, all bets are off. All predictions are off. In fact, the CMHC prediction might look more in line with what is to come. So we're going to talk about all of these wonderful things. Thanks again for joining us. We're having a whole lot of fun. I love checking in with you guys. Uh, and I get a lot of comments to say, hey, Brad, can you do a video? Can you kind of get it? And I'm, I'm like, I don't got my makeup on. And for my own self-confidence, you're going to just hear the beautiful sound of my voice. <laughs> Before we kind of get going here, you know, I like to keep things light. And I, I think the story that made me chuckle this morning was the idea of Ford. I saw this two days ago. He went to a wedding. He attended an MPP's wedding. And of course, he doesn't, he doesn't want large gatherings, but yet he himself is now being criticized for attending. Stan Cho, who is an MPP, he attended the wedding and they, they've got a photo and it's like, there's clearly more than 50 people. <laughs> oh, but what an emotional day it was. Even the cake was in tears. <laughs> But there hasn't been, apparently, there hasn't been a reception this good since 5G came out. And I myself, you guys know, I've been married for quite some time. In fact, it's been over five years now. At least that's what I've been told. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm happily married, right? It's got its ups and downs, but some mornings, the missus, she wakes up grouchy. And other mornings, she just lets me sleep in. <laughs> All right, guys. Here we're gonna Before I jump into our first topic, this idea of homelessness, today, speaking of unveiling, I want to talk about something that we are now releasing at Watson Estates. We have, I've been through individual conversations with investors, been telling them about this program, but I haven't officially announced it on our podcast. And so today is the day, I think it's as good a time as any to tell you guys that we now have a system of analyzing investment properties in outskirt communities around Toronto. Obviously, cash flow in Toronto is none to be found, but there are plenty of communities around the GTA that you can get super high cash flow. We're talking hundreds of percent return in a matter of a couple of years. We're talking about breaking even on your investment in a matter of a couple of years. Crazy returns, and right now, we're focusing with our investor clients in the Simcoe, Aurelia, and Tay region. We've got partnerships out there to connect you. We can do virtual tours and all everything we need to do. So if you guys are interested in seeing those types of properties, you want what I expect to be highest cash flow properties 
in the area combined with more likely than not from what you guys are saying in surveys that I've even taken among our audience that the outskirt communities may likely outperform the city and in which case you get the best of both worlds. So if you guys are interested in getting sent those analyzed properties on an ongoing basis, feel free to send me a message and we'll get you connected with that. All right, let's start talking about homelessness. Shouldn't be so excited. Don't get so excited about homelessness, Brad. <laughs> well, what I love about this idea, we're going to talk about an idea that's circulating. We're going to get more information on it in the coming weeks is that it kills two birds. It houses two birds with one stone is probably a better way to say it, right? So problem number one is homelessness. And we saw an article came out of Better Dwelling. It popped up and it says Canada's largest city has claimed the top spot for the rate of people in poverty across the country. It, namely Toronto and Toronto based on what they call a market basket measure. This came out of stats can 13.9% poverty, which is the highest in the country. In fact, Vancouver was the highest in 2017 back in 2018 because of the declines, not as fast in Toronto. We find ourselves behind in this kind of basket of poverty. And in any case, no doubt you guys are aware that homelessness is, a, is an ongoing issue in our city. If you, if I have to be convinced of that, then you're, you're, you're got your eyes closed. But problem number two that we are recognizing is in the commercial real estate space. They're getting absolutely clobbered. And we look at right now, there's an article from Yahoo Finance, Canadian banks return to focus on cost control and resume paused job cuts. Canadian banks are returning to a focus on managing expenses with some resuming job cuts, namely Bank of Montreal and CIBC re resuming these job cuts this quarter that were announced last year and earlier this year, but were paused because of COVID. And so let's be honest, right? It doesn't matter how often a man changes jobs. <laughs> he still ends up with the same boss. <laughs> a married man, that is. The missus is always the boss. The Actually, funny, funny enough, when we started a corporation, a holding company, I always put Sandra as the president and I'm the secretary. <laughs> I know my order and things here. I got to convince her. It's a good investment, honey. We got to go for it. <laughs> But all of this comes to a head, the commercial space, when we look at stats as far as whether people are planning on adding office space or reducing office space. I saw a chart that came out on Twitter from Liz Ann Saunders, and she says this, no surprise here, but commercial real estate demand is drying up. Percentage of companies saying they're reducing office spaces has surged and eclipsed GFC levels. Meanwhile, percentage adding to office spaces collapsed over the peaking year, over peaking years ago. So we see a decline, almost instant decline in people that say, you know what, we're going to add space. So in fact, it looks like 50 to 45 to at the highest, almost 55% of businesses said, you know what, we're going to add more office space. And that was back in 2018. Since then, and especially in 2020, we see a drop off almost all the way down. Like it is crazy how much it's come down on this little chart that they post. And this comes from Moody's analytics, by the way. Meanwhile, Reducing office space number has gone up from almost zero at the zero point, and it's gone up to, it looks like in this chart, 35%. So a lot more respondents are saying that they're planning on either removing, reducing, so more people are saying they're going to reduce office space, less people are saying they're going to add office space. And in combination, obviously, we have a lot of trouble in the commercial office space segment. Well, this brings me to this idea that has been floating around for the last few days and that's going to come to a head in the next few weeks with how we're gonna deal with homelessness. There's a few interesting ideas. My thoughts on it are irrelevant at this point. It's more hearsay, what is the plan? We're waiting to hear from Toronto, but here's an article from cbc.ca. Toronto considering ambitious homeless housing plan in wake of COVID-19 pandemic. 
Toronto's considering a plan and in a draft report developed by the Shelter Support and Housing Administration, the SSHA, in conjunction with United Way, city officials have put forward a number of potential strategies to get people off the streets and keep them housed. One of the primary ideas suggested in the report is for the city to lease and purchase old buildings and office spaces to be converted into permanent housing. How is that going to work from a zoning perspective? I have no idea, but it definitely houses two birds with one stone, right? Other proposals include, just to kind of go through some of their ideas that they're going to suggest, this transformation of existing emergency shelter spaces into permanent housing units, a rapid construction of modular housing, and a creation of more robust networks of harm reduction and addiction resources. The report does not give, listen to this, any idea of how much money we'd need to make the plan a reality, but Toronto MP Adam Vaughn says it would likely cost hundreds of millions of dollars per year. Look at this government we're married to. <laughs> Before we got married, we caught her in our arms. Now we catch her in our pockets. <laughs> so we don't know what this is going to cost. Is it a necessary program? Absolutely. What's the price tag on it? That should matter. I guess that's my point. That should matter. The city has confirmed the final version of the SSHA report will be presented to the Planning and Housing Committee in Toronto on September 22nd. So we should get a little more information. We should get the Planning and Housing Committee's take or at least review later this month. Something we should be paying attention to, guys. Obviously, we need to deal with housing. And this could be a lifesaver for people. Maybe you have a commercial office spaces and you're like, I need a place to dump it. Nobody's going to buy it. Well, maybe the city will pay you a nice little premium for that property and then convert it over to affordable housing. Also, something to keep in mind is having this idea of homelessness or this housing being walking into your town. This has been an ongoing issue. Is like we want to help address homelessness as long as it's not in my backyard. <laughs> and this is the balance, right? This is the ultimate balance. All right, here we go. We're going to move into topic number two, this trend in the 416 condo space. I know this topic's not for everybody, but if we're not paying attention to the 416 condos, we're really missing the only segment, in my opinion, of mass interest right now. Generally speaking, I think it's pretty, there's almost a consensus that the outskirt communities, the low-rise units are going to continue to do well. They're not going to have the same ex exuberant growth that we've experienced, but there seems to be a general consensus that by next spring, we will see prices continue to go up in that sphere. Whether it happens in the winter or not, we will see. But in the condo space, there's absolutely, we have not hit the bottom yet. And this is the question that I want to talk about is tracking this thing. And this week, we got some more updates from people who post content on Twitter on what exactly is the status of these condos? What, how has it moved in the last week or two? Well, here we go. Because we know last month, what about now? So this comes from Scott Ingram. He says, weekly live look in at 416. After slowing down coming into the long weekend, condos continued their climb 172 units week over week. Proper, this is uh, listings, right? Freehold only changed by plus five. They generally rise through September and October. And we'll see now if we go back to seasonal norms after a weird spring and summer. So what's happening here is we've seen almost a flat active listings for the low rise, yet we still see a climbing happening in the active listings in the 416 or Toronto condos. Meanwhile, when we look at the days on market, something interesting here. So what he's done is he's tracked, this is still Scott, can, he can see that fresh listings, so those seven days on market or less have stayed around a band of about 200. 
but the older aging bands have grown. And that is like between eight days on market to 29 days on market by about 600 and 30 days on market also by 600. So what's fascinating here is although we see active listings rising, they're not happening in the way of new listings. The listings are coming on, they're taking off, but we do see this growth happening in the listings that are over a week and over 30 days, if that makes sense. To the point where we see back in July, July 14th, there was about 4,050 active listings. Meanwhile, now September, almost September, July, August, September, two months later, we have 5,340 active listing. So it's gone up quite substantially again in those longer days on market spaces. Now, realistically, what happens, you get the 30 days on market, 60 days on market, you take it off and you can relist that property. And that happens all the time. So I find it quite fascinating that these larger segments are sitting longer and it just points to the fact that things are sitting, they're sitting longer. Price changes. What about price in condo? As listings sit longer, people have changed the price to help them sell. This chart I think is fantastic because what it does is it tells you who has changed their price from their original price to some new price, whether it's up or down and more likely than not it's down generally. I mean, right now people aren't going up because people are doing multiple offers other than maybe in the suburb community. But when we look at the low rise, the freehold, we see that there, that the 416 in the 416, they have changed 12% of those listings have changed their price. Meanwhile, condos is at 16.2 and it's rising definitely faster. So we see prices coming down. This is why you're seeing a race to the bottom in prices in the condo space. And as a last point for condos, we know the rental market has a spillover. It does. So when we look at least condos, John Pasales had an interesting post here from June to August, 2019, we saw under $2,000 price point for condos. There were 434 condos leased. That is 8% of all rentals were under $2,000 a month. This year, June to August, 2020, 2,203 condos were released. So under 2,000, that makes up 33% of all renters rentals. So clearly we have a, a number of leases that are happening in the under 2,000 price point. Now, is that because there's more of them happening or is it because prices have come down for rental units? And I think it's both. I think it's both. And this speaks specifically to downtown Toronto. What happens when you can't get enough money out of that unit well you decide screw being a small-time investor i'm going to sell and this is going to continue this push for further increasing our active listing so we're going to continue to map that out but that trend has not slowed down in fact it continues after this long weekend we're going to see that probably this week and we're going to keep track of it guys i'll let you know when we start to see a little bit of stabilizing happening in that sales to new listings ratio okay here we go so let's now go into a few hot topics before we get into this idea of COVID and what it means for our city. First off, big news, I could have put this as a whole new topic, was the Canadian housing starts in August. Based on a recent update from the CMHC, the construction of new homes was up month over month in July or in August. This trend measure is a six-month moving average. They call it the SAAR, the Seasonally Adjusted Annual Rates of Housing Starts. And they see, this is, this is how it breaks down, that higher multifamily starts in Ontario, including Toronto, drove the national increase over a total of 5,200 some odd new housing starts were launched in August, which is up from the same time last year, 67% multifamily, big time, right? 
we do we need the housing? Do we need, is this, is this maybe because we have a demand for rental units? I believe so. That's my thinking on that. Last month, there were also 491 new starts for single detached home, which is down 12% from the same year. When we look at all housing types, we have grown an impressive 85% year over year. So housing starts are absolutely taking place, but it's also important to keep in mind that there is a lag time between the project launches and housing starts. So the housing starts we're seeing now are, are the sale have already been sold. These are ones that are coming in, in a sense, from last year. But for those of you who might not know, because maybe you've lived in a condo long and now you're like, okay, I'm gonna find, I found myself a suburb house. I'm happy, I'm gonna tie the knot. Just remember, let me remind you, don't make love in the backyard. <laughs> it's like, I finally got a backyard. Love is blind, but the neighbors ain't. <laughs> All right, here we go. Another topic, this idea, I think this is just kind of a fun fact. TorontoStories.com has said that the tallest residential condominium tower ever built in the country is starting. It has begun, it has broke ground. Pinnacle International, or it is the creator, the developer of Sky Tower, a multi-tower development at one Young Street. And it's gonna be a record-breaking 95 stories tall. In fact, the only building when it's done that'll be taller in our city will be the CN Tower. If, you've, if you don't know what the CN Tower is, uh, just Google it. <laughs> All right, now the other, another topic, hot topic that again could be another full segment we can talk about is this idea of Bank of Canada committing to its interest rates pretty much being frozen as well as their, their bond purchases. So BNN Bloomberg says in a discussion Wednesday from Ottawa, policymakers led by Governor Tiff McClem held the bank's benchmark rate at 0.25% and said they'll leave it unchanged until the economic slack is absorbed, that the 2% inflation target is, quote, substantially achieved. In other words, don't expect your interest rates to go up anytime soon, according to the Bank of Canada. The central bank also retained a pledge to buy government bonds at the current pace and maintain extraordinary monetary policy stimulus throughout what it calls the recuperation phase of the recovery. It seems to me it's going to be quite a bumpy road, right? We're married. We have no choice. We're married to the Bank of Canada. It's all we got. And marriage requires a man to prepare four types of rings. Number one, we've got the engagement ring, we've got the wedding ring, and we also get the suffering and the enduring, <laughs> but it's, people seem to agree, economists seem to agree the next couple of years will be bumpy. And so we ain't got no honeymoon over here. The central bank's commitment could keep the policy rate unchanged until at least 2023. And this is why a lot of people, when you're applying for a mortgage right now, seem to agree that the first two, three years, general consensus is a fixed rate would be great, or even being in a variable would be fine because we don't expect it to change much. The question mark is in that year four and five. That seems to be the confusion, and that's why some people right now are leaning towards fixed rate mortgages. Another fun fact before we move on is the Toronto District School Board has obviously delayed their starting date for a lot of the schools until September 17th, citing staffing complexities. So it'll be interesting as the schools roll around because of our very last topic. You guys ready? Does a second wave mean reverting back to stage two? One of the things we need to be paying attention to is this idea of psychology. It really is psychology. Because even if we go back into stage two, yeah, we might not have open houses, but really, are you going, I, I'm actually curious, are you guys going to open houses right now? I know, I know I'm not doing them, I'm kind of avoiding them, because like, why? Like, why do you even need, I don't know. But anyways, so we wouldn't be allowed to do open houses anymore. But the big impact here is if we go back, if things move back into stage two, businesses that are currently open will need to close. As this takes place, there's a psychological impact where people are going to think, holy smokes, we just saw huge price drops. 
back in March, that's going to happen again. And this is my chance to either dump my property, get rid of it. I don't want to take a loss on it. I don't want to sit for another three, four months. I was going to maybe sell in the spring, but now I just got to get rid of it. We could have ourselves in quite a scenario here. And we also will have, keep in mind, a lot of buyers waiting, which will put downward pressure on price, right? Because they're thinking, you know what? I'm going to wait and I'm going to catch it at the bottom. People are going to expect to see the exact same thing we saw back in March if we start to see things closing again, which is not a good scenario. It really isn't. Hopefully people take their properties off the market and it balances back out, but it's just not a good scene. And if it does happen, it's a great scene if you're an investor looking to scoop up a deal. So we want to know are we going to go back into stage two? Well, according to ctvnews.ca, Ontario forced to pause a reopening plan for four weeks as COVID-19 cases spike. Ontario is pausing any further steps in its reopening as daily COVID cases count continue to spike in the province. I know I went and grabbed a bunch of toilet paper, a bunch of water, because I don't want to be in line when the lines get a little bit longer at Costco. And I know that if this closes, if this close is announced, people are going to go a little bit cuckoo. They really will. And then they're going to start saying, where's my Serb? <laughs> That'll be step two. And then just in time, just in time. Oh, that's great. Just in time for Justin Trudeau to come out with his new green plan and show you, don't worry, the spending cap is completely off. <laughs> but according to the health minister, Christine Elliott made the announcement on Tuesday saying that the quote, latest trend in numbers have raised some concerns, especially as we begin to reopen schools and post-secondary institutions. Whether those get rolled back, there's a possibility of that too. I don't know. I don't know. But they say Ontario will take, quote, a pause of four weeks before the province considers any further loosening of public health measures. So we're not going back right now, but we're not moving forward. That's pretty much what's happening. This idea of the social circles will need to remain as they are. They say pausing restrictions mean they won't allow things like expanded social circles, expanded gathering sizes, and greater increases in the number of people allowed to attend sports events. Because I know you guys are trying to get in on that Raptors game, even though it's not even here. <laughs> The province recorded 375 new COVID cases. And we see this number climbing on 190 new infections logged on Monday and 185 recorded on Tuesday is pretty much, we're starting to see the numbers consistently over 100. In fact, it's been over 13 days, over 100. And so they asked for, it's point blank, are you going to go back to stage two? And this is what he says, we aren't there yet. That's his answer. I don't like that. We aren't there yet. <laughs> Not a fan of that answer. But if it just keeps creeping and creeping and people are ignoring the guidelines and the protocols, come on, guys. I can picture him saying that. Come on, guys. We have gone through everything together as a team and you can't let your guard down now. He didn't say we're not doing it. He didn't say that. The numbers are going up. Obviously, he's relying on health officials and he's trying not to stir the boat. Shake the boat. Stir the pudding. Right? But we need to be vigilant and we need to personally, on a personal basis, we need to keep staying socially distanced. The key to getting over a second wave, in my opinion, will be this communication between us and the government and which apparently is also the key to marriage. <laughs> the, my wife, she says I never listen or something like that. I'm happily married. If I were to kind of say it here, you guys are probably like, this guy really has a blank view on marriage. No, I don't. I'm not knocking the sanctity of marriage. After all, all marriages are created in heaven, in my opinion. Then again, so are thunder, lightning, tornadoes, and hail. Anyways, I'm going to leave it there. If you guys are interested in jumping on our mailing list to get access to these analyzed and hand-picked properties north of us that are going to yield you high cash flow, let me know. Otherwise, I will see you guys next time. Take care and keep it real.